0: Today, we're talking about going all in, in our spiritual growth, and it reminded me of uh, a friend of mine who actually, when I graduated from college, became my mentor at the company I was working for. I graduated from college and went to work for a computer company doing uh, software engineering work, and this guy who had been there for, I don't know, 25, 30 years uh, decided, me to, decided to uh, take me under his wing and become my mentor. And I was so glad for this. This guy was just unbelievably brilliant. He had invented this uh, concept that like two of you will have heard of, it's called virtual memory. It's sort of like the core of modern computing. And he had invented that and he decided that he wanted to mentor me. And, and, and I remember one day we were working on this issue here and he was explaining something to me. It took me maybe, maybe 15, 20 minutes to explain this concept to me. And afterwards, I looked at him, and I, just, and I just said, you know, I had three or four hours worth of lectures on that in college, and in 15 minutes, you explained to me what the professors couldn't do in three or four hours. And he was just, he was brilliant. And then, take that, he's, he's, you know, he's like um, well-known in the company. When the president of the company would come to visit, he would first, he would make a beeline for this guy's office just to talk with him and stuff. So he's super well-known in the computer industry, But he also, he built a 39-foot boat in his backyard, you know? I mean, what's it, think he was Noah or something like this? You know, and then, and then get this, he couldn't figure out how to get it out of his backyard, you know? So what they had to do is get this, I don't know how many hundred-foot crane and go over the top of the house and lift the boat up over that. I mean, imagine if that fell, boat and house gone with one broken cable, you know, to put it on the, uh, to get it over the house and put it onto the trailer, And then he invites uh, Ann and me to join him and his wife sailing on the Chesapeake in this 39-foot boat that he built that sleeps like eight. And it was so much fun. I'm glad I had the um, seasickness medicine, though, because it would have not been fun otherwise. But he's just, you know, he's got it all. He's brilliant. He's got an incredible career He's got a 39-foot boat that he built, wonderful family, making all the money that he needs, and on and on and on and on. So one day we're having lunch, and we're actually in a, um, over in one of the malls over in Flemington, having lunch at this pizza place. And he looks at me and he says, you know, I've done just about all the physical growing that I'm going to do unless I keep eating too much pizza with you. And uh, I don't want this to sound you know, arrogant or anything, but... I've probably done most of the intellectual growing I'm going to do. At least my intellectual growth curve is kind of flattening out. I've still got more to learn, but my best days are behind me in that. And he said, but you know, I really haven't done any spiritual growing. Can you help me figure out how to do that? And I just thought, wow, you know, what a great question. Here's a guy who, who has it all from, uh, from a human perspective, and he realizes that something is missing. And he wants to find out how he can get to know uh, the God who created him, uh, the God who loves him, and the God who wants to have a relationship with him. So we spent some time talking about that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're, we're here in the middle of a series that we're calling All In, uh, using sort of a, a poker analogy, the idea of just pushing all your chips into the middle of the table and saying, I'm going all in. And this morning, we're talking about going all in with our spiritual growth. And I want to do that this morning by looking at one of my favorite passages. It's uh, from the third chapter of John, and I like to call it uh, Nick at Night. And the first service thought that was funny, and the second service, just like you guys, didn't laugh at it. Um, and that's the way it goes. But um, I get corny. I'm, I'm a former engineer, so I'm allowed to be corny from, from time to time. But this is really a great chapter, and I just love the story of Nicodemus and uh, his encounter with Jesus. So I want to start by reading the first couple of verses. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. We'll pause for a second here. You may have heard of the Pharisees, and, and if you haven't, whether you have or haven't, most people are not familiar with who, these, who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were a, a sect or a group within Judaism, and they were like the ultra-Orthodox, the ultra-diligent, the ultra-devout Jews within Judaism. They cared about keeping the letter of the law all the way. They studied uh, their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. They taught them and they kind of enforced them on everybody else as well. And so Nicodemus was viewed as one of the most respected Jews within Judaism because he was a Pharisee. He was also, John writes, a member of the Jewish ruling council, which um, at other places is called the Sanhedrin, in case you've heard of that term. And this was a group of 70 men who were the leaders, both the political and religious leaders of Israel. And so you've got this guy, Nicodemus, who's kind of like at the pinnacle of his career. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's well-known. He's well-connected. He's well-respected. And he wants to find out about Jesus. And this is a little bit of a problem because you see, Jesus was not necessarily the most respected guy in at least among the Jewish leaders at this point. Um, He was liked by the population, but not necessarily by the Jewish leaders. And so John mentions this comment that at first kind of looks like a throwaway comment. He says, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And and at first glance, you kind of say, okay, well, that's just kind of adding color to the story. So it doesn't just become sort of a boring rote kind of a story. But I think what's going on here is John is intentionally mentioning this because he's pointing out the fact that Nicodemus was afraid to be seen with Jesus. He didn't necessarily want to be associated with Jesus because he had something to lose. He had his reputation. He had his position to lose. And if you hung out with Jesus too much, that was a problem as far as the Jewish leadership was concerned. But Nicodemus was curious and he wanted to find out more about Jesus. So he says, I'm going to go explore. I'm going to go ask questions. I'm going to get to know Jesus. And if you're talking about spiritual growth, if you're thinking about, yeah, you know, I want to take that next step in my spiritual growth, the place to start is with exploring. Ask questions. Come to a place like Renaissance. You know, we we try to give all sorts of opportunities for you to explore and to find out in a safe environment where people aren't going to give you a hard time for asking some of the questions that you have. Grab a Bible out of the cafe if you don't have a Bible and start reading. I would encourage you, read the Gospel of John, this biography of Jesus in which this story of Nicodemus is recorded because John wrote his gospel. He wrote his biography of Jesus to help people like us who are exploring and who are trying to find out more about who Jesus is. Join one of our our spiritual formation groups. Maybe Thursday night actually is a great one, eight o'clock here in the cafe, We're going through a book that's talking about who Jesus is and what he's like. Very discussion-oriented, safe environment. Love to have you join us for that as well. If you want to grow spiritually, first step is to do what Nicodemus did and begin to explore. So Jesus then responds uh, to Nicodemus in verse 3, and he says, "'Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again.'" How can someone be born when they 're old, Nicodemus asked surely they can 't enter a second time in their mother 's womb to be born? When you hear that phrase "born again," so many people it has uh, questionable or, or, or negative connotations. I was at the airport a couple of weeks ago pr- picking up uh, Anne and Christine, uh, who were coming back from Atlanta, and their flight was delayed and so i'm standing there along with all the other people whose, whose flights were delayed and this one guy he's just he looked like he was desperate to talk to people so he comes over to me you know and so we so we start talking and i say what do you do and he says oh you know i'm a uh, you know i'm a, a, sh- a chauffeur a shuttle kind of a driver which i probably could have figured out given that he was holding a sign you know and he looks at me and he says what do you do and i said well i'm a pastor which he probably could have figured out cuz i was wearing bibles all over my you know my coat or whatever it was no not really you know and so we're talking back and forth he says a pastor huh? What, what's your church like? And I said, well, it's a little bit different. And, and he says, is it one of those born again churches? And I'm like, well, how do you answer that question? You know, I mean, what, what are you going to say when somebody asks you that? So I turned around and said, what do you mean by born again? And he went on about, you know, how born again has to do with being some sort of a Bible thumping, you know, fire breathing dragon kind of a Christian or, or, or whatever it is, you know, and that's the connotation. That uh, born again has to a lot of people. For others, it has the connotation of being part, you know, maybe being a card-carrying member of the religious right or something like that. But if you were to stop the average person on the street and say, "What does it mean to be born again?" they'd ultimately have no clue. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't have had any clue if I hadn't seen what Jesus was talking about here. And Nicodemus has absolutely no clue what Jesus is talking about. How can someone be born when they're old? They can't enter their mother's womb a second time and be born again, can they? And Jesus responds and he says, very truly, I tell you, verse five, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Excuse me. Basically, what Jesus is saying is this idea of being born again is experiencing a spiritual birth. It's experiencing a, a spiritual birth. Our first birth is physical. Our second birth is spiritual. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. We're born the first time into our human families. We've got human, fleshly parents. That's our first birth, our our, our first birth there. Our second birth, we're born spiritually. We've got a spiritual parent. God is our father, and that's the spiritual birth that Jesus is talking about. The first time, we become children of our earthly parents. The second time, we become children of our heavenly father. And so that's what Jesus is talking about when he's saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's saying, you have to have this spiritual birth. So Jesus and Nicodemus continue their dialogue for for a time and they're going back and forth and it's becoming increasingly clear that Nicodemus is not getting what Jesus is talking about or if he is getting it, he's not buying it. And so at the end of their dialogue, John, the guy who's writing Uh, This biography of Jesus kind of sums up what Jesus was saying and he puts it all together. And I'm really glad he did because I think the first three, four, five times that I read this, I didn't have any idea what Jesus was talking about either. So I I think I would have put myself uh, with Nicodemus at that point. But John sums it up in verse 16 and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that that verse is John three sixteen. And if 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 you've been around a church for a long period of time, you've probably heard it somewhere before. If you're a football fan, you've seen it printed. You know, there's this guy that's got like this rainbow-colored hair, you know, and he's at every football game on Sunday. I mean, it's unbelievable how he can be at all over the country. And sometimes he's fat, and sometimes he's thin, and sometimes he's tall, and sometimes he's short. But he's always holding this placard that says John 3, 1, 6. You know, and you're asking. Okay, I I understand why he's doing that, but I wish some of the words were there because what does John 3, 1, 6 mean? Well, this is what it means. It's talking about this idea of spiritual birth. What, What John and Jesus are saying here is that we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. We need to trust Jesus. We need to believe that when he died, he paid for our sins, not just sort of in a philosophical way, but that he paid for my sins, for the fact that I was disobeying God, that I was broken. He died in order to heal me and to bring me forgiveness. And he rose again so that I could have a relationship with him and, and with his father and have a life that that goes beyond just simply this life of 39-foot of boats and a great career and a, and a second house in the mountains and, and all that good stuff and then all the bad stuff as well that goes with our lives, that it's more than that. So we can have this, what Jesus is talking about is eternal life here. And uh, later in John's gospel, Jesus explains what he means by eternal life. He says, now this is eternal life that they know you the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We have this concept when we hear the phrase "eternal life," that it's some sort of you know, uh, pie in the sky by and by when we die. You know, it's it's living with God forever in heaven, and that's true. But Jesus is saying it's much more than that. It's something that begins here and now. It means that we have a relationship with God. Right now, this moment beginning here on this earth that then continues for eternity, both while we're alive on this earth and when we're uh, in heaven after we pass away uh, from this earth. And he's saying we can know the one who created us, the one who loved us enough to send his son to die for us and who wants to have that kind of a relationship with us, who wants to help us to transcend all the stuff, both good and bad, that's going on in our lives from day to day. And the key, the key to all of this is believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's done what the Bible says that he's done and saying, okay, I trust you. I believe in you. I want to follow you. I want this, this spiritual birth that uh, Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus. So what about Nicodemus? I mean, where is he? I, I, I've, you know, you kind of wonder as you're reading through this story because he just kind of disappears from the scene. He finishes the dialogue with Jesus finishes and John picks up and he starts summarizing and, and, and writing a little commentary about what Jesus had been, been talking to Nicodemus about. But we don't see Nicodemus. I mean, did he end up believing what Jesus said? Did he end up kind of buying into it? Or did he kind of go back to his Pharisee friends and start saying oh man stay away from this guy jesus he's a nutcase he's talking about you know being born two times three times i don't know how many times you know i don't i still don't quite get what he's talking about here you know what happened to nicodemus well what's interesting is he pops up two more times in uh, in the gospel of john once uh, this, this, the, the first time that he pops up again is a, a year or two after he'd interacted with jesus this time and uh, the the sanhedrin was beginning to try to figure out a way to, to arrest Jesus. And they're talking and they're plotting and planning. And Nicodemus, interestingly, says, hey, wait a second. We can't condemn somebody before we give them a fair trial. And so you say, huh, Nicodemus certainly isn't against Jesus. I'm not sure if he's for Jesus, but he's certainly not against him. It looks like, though, he's making a little progress in, uh, in his uh, thinking about who Jesus is. Three years three years after that conversation where Jesus talked to him about uh, spiritual birth, we run into Nicodemus again. It's actually the day that Jesus died on the cross. Two, three, four hours after Jesus dies on the cross, we run into Nicodemus again at the end of, of John's gospel in chapter 19. Later that day, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, who was the Roman governor, he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, meaning in the, in the phraseology we often use here at Renaissance, he was a follower of Jesus. But secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders, because he knew if he had gone after Jesus, if he had followed after Jesus openly, he was going to get in huge trouble with the Jewish leadership. He didn't want to be associated with him. But with Pilate's permission, he came and took away the body. Then verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. That wasn't a throwaway phrase. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night because he had been afraid to associate himself with Jesus was now willing to go with Joseph and ask for the body of Jesus. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, embalming spices, about 75 pounds worth. And you think about that, 75 pounds of embalming spices is way more than enough to take care of Jesus' body. Why did he do that? He was was embalming him like he was a king. And he's just bringing an excessive amount because he had a heart for Jesus and he was beginning to want to follow after him. Think about it this way. Nicodemus, who was afraid to be associated with Jesus three years before, was willing to go to the Roman governor who had signed Jesus' death warrant because Rome viewed him as a criminal. And Nicodemus was willing to be associated with Jesus, which was not good for his reputation in the sight of the Romans. And it was even worse for his reputation in the sight of the Jewish leadership. He could lose everything he had, but he was willing to go and do this for Jesus. And I think that's because somewhere along the way, somewhere in that process, Nicodemus went all in in his relationship with Jesus. It took him three years, but he finally came to the point where he trusted Jesus and he experienced, I think, that spiritual birth that Jesus was talking about. If you want to go all in in your relationship with God, if you want to go all in in your spiritual growth, you've got to embrace the process. You've got to embrace the process. And it's a process. We're talking about spiritual growth not spiritual perfection. It's not this instantaneous change where we all of a sudden become perfect and do no wrong and are exactly like Jesus and live exactly the way that we know we ought to live. And we trust everything that God says immediately. No, it's, it's a process. And sometimes it's a three steps forward and two steps back process. For Nicodemus, it took three years from to get from the point of just exploring under the cover of night to being willing to be seen as a follower of Jesus. Some people it takes shorter, some people it takes a lot longer. But for all of us, it's ultimately a lifelong process of exploring, of growing in our trust of Christ, of embracing that process by which God works in us to make him more and more and more like himself. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament writes about this in the book of Philippians. He says, he who began a good work in you, God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, hey, whether it's three steps forward and two steps back or whatever it is, God is gonna continue that work that he began in you when you, like Nicodemus, first under cover of night said, I wanna know a little bit more About Jesus, You know, we fall down or he picks us up, puts us up on the horse as Steve was talking about. We fall over on the other side and he doesn't laugh at us and walk away. He picks us up, he dusts us off, he puts us back up there and he continues to point us to Jesus, the one who died on the cross and rose again because he loves us. He wants us to keep growing in our relationship with him. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you're starting out or whether you've been on it for many years, let me encourage you. I I want to encourage you to embrace the process. Embrace the process. Take the next step in your journey. If you're just starting out, maybe today is the first time in years that you have thought at all about these things. And walking up those stairs was like Nicodemus, kind of going under cover of night and uh, trying to find out a little bit more who Jesus was. If that's where you are, let me encourage you, to keep exploring. Read about Jesus in, in, in the Bible. Ask some questions. Join us on Thursday night. Uh, talk to somebody afterwards. We'd love to help you to explore. Maybe you're a little bit uh, further along. Maybe you've been exploring for a while. But you've never come to the point where you've said, you know what? I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Not just for the world in a, in a philosophical sense, but he died for me so that I could have a relationship with God through him. And that when he rose again, that was so that I could have eternal and abundant and new life starting right here and now. And there, there could be a change in my life where I'd become more and more like Christ. If you've never, let me put it this way, if you've never crossed that line of faith, where you've said, yeah, I trust Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to live my life uh, following after him and getting to know him, let me encourage you to, to, to consider doing that because that for you could be the next step for you to take. And if you're further down the, the, the path, embrace the process. Keep daily embracing that process. It's easy if you've been a follower of Christ for a while to become complacent. You say, yeah, I've been exploring and, and I'm, you know, I've still got more to learn and I crossed that line of faith you know, a year or two or 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. It's easy to kind of become complacent and, not to, and, to, and to lose that edge, that desire to keep finding out more about who God is and keep growing to become more and more and more like him. Let me encourage you, embrace the process on a daily basis. Ask God to continue to work in you. Keep trusting in him because he knows what he's doing. He cares about you and he wants to work in you in me, in all of us, for our good, and ultimately for his glory. I'm going to ask Steve and the, the band to come on up now, and uh, they're going to sing a, a great song for us. It's actually an old spiritual. Some of you may recognize the words. The tune's been modernized a bit, and it's just a really powerful song. It says, Lord, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus in my heart. And as they're singing that, just make it a prayer. Ask God to to, to, to give you that desire to become more and more like Jesus. Let me pray for us as they're coming up. Father, it is so great that you provided the story of Nicodemus for us that we could find out more about this process that you're carrying out in our lives to help us to explore, to help us to trust, to help us to, to get to know you better and have you work in our lives to make us more and more like yourself. Father, I thank you for that, and I pray for all of us, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, that we would embrace that process, that we would desire to grow closer and closer and closer to you, and I pray that you would indeed work in us to make us more and more like yourself. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.